All right, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Genesis. This is not really a part two for this morning's study, but it does go together. I'm always excited this time of year because there's a lot of things lining up prophetically, uh, things that have yet to be fulfilled, and you begin to wonder, is this the time that uh, the Lord will come back for his church? We're in Genesis chapter 10, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, and we'll read about nine verses in there as we look through our study. But there are things that I I think are already being set up under this phrase, strong delusions. Uh, For those of you who are familiar with this phrase, it's used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and there is specifically going to be a strong delusion that people will believe a lie. And there's a reason why they believe the lie, and it's not because the lie is very persuasive, it's because they reject the truth of the gospel, and we'll see that when we get into the latter part of our study. But I want to really look at the Tower of Babel and then look at Armageddon to show you that man is always left to itself with its own sinful nature. Man will try to do two things. It will try to unify itself, and then it will find a subject to attack, and that is the holiness of God. And you can see this from the very beginning here in, in Genesis chapter 11. As a matter of fact, you can even see it further back in Genesis chapter 3 and just right up to the flood. Uh, there's a description of man's heart, the way that man thought it was evil continually. And I can't help but look at the way our world is today, and it's, I would say it's in a continual state of evil. It's just very hard to find things. We talked about this on Wednesday night with uh, the question of, is all entertainment bad? We, it's, it's just hard to find any kind of programming that doesn't have some type of hidden message to target you or target your children. And Christians are finding themselves, just by choice, you know, withholding from many things that people would look at you and say, well, that's just normal. This is, there's nothing wrong with that. It's innocent. But you and I know the ulterior motives are there. And then you kind of look at what's going on ever since COVID has happened with the World Health Organization and these ideas that are coming forward to regulate your health, to get everybody on one common denominator as far as an identification chip and all of that. Mark Cuban famously said that QR codes were dinosaurs and they're never going to work. Well, I mean, QR codes are what are being used right now to push forward unique um, personal identification markers. Each person would get one, kind of like a social security number. And you find out that with artificial intelligence coming on the scene, and really, that only happened in like 2021, we're two years removed from that, and there's already regulation on that. There's already, this needs, this is so powerful, they do acknowledge that there's risks, but they say it's so powerful it needs to be regulated, we need to make laws about it so that we can get to this one world order. And that's not the words that I use, these are the words that they use. And there's a couple things I want you to know about these people in, in, in politics that when you hear them say biblical prophecy, this is what you should think about them as far as what to do. You need to pray for them because many people are deceived right now. I think there are people who really mean well with this technology and these, this, you know, we're going to infringe on your privacy for the better of everybody. They do mean well, but they don't realize what this is going to lead to. There is going to be a man who comes on the scene who's going to take all the control. He's going to be very persuasive. He will not have the desire to be a family person. He has no desire with money. He has desire through military power and control. That's his MO, and that man is the Antichrist. We don't know him yet. It's of my opinion that he's already on the scene. I don't think we can look and try to find him, 
but he's being prepared to fulfill that role. That's a, the very important part of the tribulation period. But we have an antichrist type when we look at the Tower of um, Babel here, and you know Nimrod is leading this. But there's some things I want you to take a look at here. Look in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. So this is the beginning of, you know, building material, construction and all of that. But this is where it seems to go off the rails. And this is, you know, there's going to be a couple things we talk about the highlight of this story. But there's always an ulterior motive when man finds some kind of power and control. How can we use this to control God? How can we use this to control our future? There's so much marketing out there today that kind of tells you you can control every area of your life. You can take care of your health. You can take care of your finances. You can take care of your transportation. You can take care of people in your community. You just have to do these certain steps and paths. And as long as you do what is acceptable, then everything will turn out okay. But the moment you want to start being independent, you want to start making your own choices that are not breaking the law, now you become a problem because you're not going with the crowd. And where's the crowd going today? It's racing against things of God. It's already there, and it's, it's getting deeper and deeper. It seems like every year there's just something else that astounds and amazes. We saw it this month with everything that happened with Pride Month. Uh, and I'm not attacking that. I'm just saying very plainly, like, that was a full-out assault on children. It was incredible. I mean, innocent things, like where you go to shop was just put right in front of you to where you had to make a choice and a decision before you even walk into the store. It's like you're swearing allegiance to a company's policies. And you saw what happened. You saw these companies' true agenda. As soon as they started losing that money, they back up. Because they don't really care about an agenda. They care about making sure that they seem favorable. It's all about getting that favorable attention. I teach the same thing when you're trying to go soul winning. Get favorable attention. How can you connect with that person? Well, these companies are no different. But this year, it just ramped up to the highest degree that I've seen so far. And the scary thing is there was like that rant that was, or, or that chant that was happening at a protest about we're coming for your children. And NBC accurately reported on it. And then they backtracked because they were coming under attack from that side. And you come to find out that a lot of these things that we heard for the first time this year, they've, they've been said for years and years. Just nobody paid any attention to it. And so you begin to find out these companies don't care about you. They don't care about your values. They care about the bottom line. And we have been deceived very efficiently to think that, well, this is not going to come into our homes. It is going to come into your homes. It's already there. This, this, this technology exists. And this is not to fear monger or anything. I just want you to be aware. This is why I, I teach very passionately and forward-facing that we're very close to the rapture. Because these things are already in place. It's literally just a few major events have to happen in the world. And I'm not saying specific ones, but like a natural disaster or a terrorist attack or something to get these things moving. We need control. We need to execute this control because the world can't control itself. Trust us. We have the technology. We have the laws. You just need to trust us. But as soon as man had some power here, look what they concluded to in verse 4. And they said, go to let us build us a city and a tower 
That would have been sufficient. What's wrong with building a city and a tower? Nothing. But the intent is, whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name. Now this is, this is to be opposed to God is, has made man in his image. What does man want to do? We're self-made. We got here ourselves. You look into the sky, and it's unreachable. But with man, anything is possible. We're going to build that building. We're going to ascend into heaven. We're going to meet God where he is. Lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Interesting, that statement there. I wonder how much of, a, of, of, of teaching was already available that they were not supposed to do this. But maybe they were curious about you know, being disbanded. And they knew that was a risk. So they wanted to protect the brotherhood of you know, mankind. One language, uh, excuse me, one language, everybody understood each other, one speech. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they begin to do. And this is interesting. God's assessment here reveals to you the power of man's will. I kind of chuckle when you study the Calvinistic God that is so desperate for control that he must take away man's free will. They call that a sovereign God. A sovereign God who has authority over all can allow man to make any choice that he wants, yet still get justice. That's a, that's a sovereign God. See, we're all held accountable to the decisions that we make. There's not any one of us, except if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, but there's not one man who, when he dies, and has not had the blood of Jesus applied to his sin payment, that there's not one man who will avoid standing before God. There's not one man who will avoid standing before God and have an excuse as to why he did not believe. That's a sovereign God. That's a God who has control over everything. And the statement that is said here is, and this they begun to begin to do, verse 6, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. This is a very powerful insight on the creativity of man. You know, there's a lot of technology that we, we're, you're looking at right now. Stuff like this, you show this 100, 200 years ago, this is witchcraft. This, these are things that don't happen. You think about how intricate a projector is. How intricate is you know, an extension cord that carries power in a certain current. The fact that I can accidentally step on a switch down here and I lose power to all this. Like This is stuff that man has imagined to do it and we've got lights, we've got air conditioning, we can change the temperature of a room. It gives you this false idea that you don't need God, you've got you. We have inventors I think it's kind of interesting. I think it's Disney, but they call all of their uh, illustrators Imagineers. I just think that's interesting. <laughs> Not to say they're doing that intentionally, but the idea is these animations, they're all coming from our head. These stories are all coming from our head. And in, in Ecclesiastes, it says there's nothing new under the sun. God knows all these things, but it's amazing to see how we can dilute ourselves. This is what's dangerous about the further we get away from God and the closer we get to ourselves, the deception becomes easier and easier to believe. You've ruled God out through the evolutionary process. You've ruled God out through the destruction of all morals. I think it's crazy what is being taught today is just acceptable language for kids. It, 
you know, things that are commonplace the way I grew up, it's now considered to be, you know, I'm not, and I'm not that far removed from these teenagers, that's considered to be old-fashioned. And that's not how we do things anymore. And you find that, like, kids, are, it, the, the, the disrespect is being baked in. But what is being observed here from God of man's decision to let us make a name for ourselves, we're going to reach God, is that now that they're together and they're doing all this thing together, there's not going to be anything that they can't do. I don't know what exactly would be the extent of that because obviously man has limitations and I don't think that God is saying man does not have limitations. But I've come to the conclusion that whatever they're going to do here was similar to what they were doing in the flood. And which is why God had to cleanse the earth and start over with Noah. You get to these things now and you think, is there any possibility that man could get back to this state? I think we're there. One of the things, I'm going to tell you a story that happened probably about a month, two months ago. There was a young lady who came in and she was looking for the ESL class, English as a Second Language. She was here on a Thursday though, so it wouldn't meet until Tuesday. I don't speak Spanish. I know a few things like lo siento, which means I'm sorry, and no habla espanol, which means I don't speak Spanish. Um, So I got my phone out, and I had not used the Apple Translate app for a long time. I opened it up, and it told me since I've opened the app, there's been several updates, but one of the key ones is that Apple, my phone, will listen to my conversation, listen to me, I press a button, she talks after she hears what I say translate into her language. So here I am, I have my iPhone, I say, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, ESL is on Tuesday nights, you'll have to come back Tuesday at 6.30. My phone's listening to me, I press it, it translates it, speaks it to her in her language, then I say, I stop for a second, hit the button again, and it listens to her speak in Spanish, stop the button, or uh, hit the button to stop it, and it comes back to me in English. I thought that was amazing. And it was literally just one of those things where it was like, um, you know, just a random Thursday experience, but you're going, look at the power man had when language was no longer a barrier, and look where we are today. And I don't think it's a coincidence that these meetings that happened, like at the G20 summit and all of that, They're all coming together, the whole earth, every tribe, every tongue, to talk about how can we all get together? How can we all be one? How can we, we read it this morning, peace and safety, peace and safety. It's not just in the Middle East, we want this in the whole world. We're close. And if that doesn't excite you, you're not awake or you don't care. (laughs) But that's very exciting because you realize not much more time is left. Look at what it says in verse 7. Go to, let us go down, God speaking here, and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. And so the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. It's interesting here. The Hebrew word there, Babel, means confusion, and also in different mythology, it means the gates to the gods. And the reason why it took on that language is because from, regardless of what culture it is, there was always a story about this historical account that happened where this is when things changed, when God 
this is to some degree a flood type event where obviously in the flood it was destructive, but the idea was to start over. This here is to start over without physical destruction, but now you have language as a barrier. And for the longest time, language has remained a barrier, but the, with, with the way things are today, it's not as much of a barrier. It's still there for sure. You have to depend on the technology. But it's still very difficult to learn a language, let alone to learn several languages. And I know a few people who know more than one language. It's impressive. But they don't know all of them. Well, your phone can know all of them. If you pay attention, every time you do a software update for your phone, it will tell you there's new languages added for translation. They're adding languages all the time. So I think that's interesting. But that's what man did when they were together. They, they let us make a name for ourselves. We're going to get ourselves to God. Now let's take a look at the last time man gets together, uh, sinful man gets together. Let's go to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. While you're turning there, I just want to read you uh, a couple points after we've left Genesis there, just about that. The uh, Babel story demonstrates the inclination of fallen man to rebel against God and try to provide for his needs in his own way rather than by trusting and obeying God. And it illustrates that rebellion against God results in A, broken fellowship with God and man, and B, failure to realize God's intention for man in his creation, namely, that he rule the earth effectively. And if you go back to Adam and Eve before the fall, the way that God designed the planet, the way that he designed man and woman was to function effectively according to his design. And as soon as the fall happened, you got Cain and Abel, and there was an attempt successfully from Cain to take the life that was given by God from Abel. And after that, everything unravels. It's like pulling at one thread. The next thing you know, you, got, you don't have a sweater anymore. It's all <laughs> unraveled. So it teaches us quite a bit about man's intent and how we can set, you, you can understand there is no good in man. There is no man that seeks to do good. They may have had good intentions with building that tower, but they were wrong and they were intentions that would lead people further away from God and more trust in man, trust in man. And when you think about it, it's like you designing a watch. All of that detail, all of that form and function, and all of a sudden the watch saying, I'm going to control the watchmaker. That is exactly what's happening with the creation trying to, con uh, to control the creator. Do you know how much we don't know about God? The intricacies, the way he thinks. I've tried to look at different explanations of how God can exist on this timeline. You know, he's, he's outside of it, yet can see all of it. I've heard great examples and, and things like that. But if I'm laying in bed at night and I'm thinking about these things, boy, it's, com it's, it's complicated to figure out the vast mind of God. I'm glad that what he has told me about himself, I can understand. He could have told us a bunch of stuff that we never understand. What good would that have done? You know why God made it easy for us to understand? Because he loves us. He hates sin, but he loves you and me. And that's not said enough. That's not said enough to people who are lost. God loves you. And they hear that and say, God loves you in the form of me buying you a sandwich or in the form of me saying your sin is not that bad. How, does God, how did God demonstrate his love? His son, Jesus. He died on the cross for our sins. 
if Christians would talk about that more often, it's such a fresh perspective nowadays that I think people are going to hear it. They're going to go, wow, I haven't heard that before. Because people are hearing all the time, you know, there, there's these viral, viral preachers that go viral on YouTube shorts and TikTok and Instagram reels and all this stuff. And it sounds good and they got the piano music playing and all that. But when you actually try to figure out what did they say, they didn't say anything that people don't already know. God's love is not tolerance. God's love is action. And that action was he accepted the sacrifice of his son. That's how God loves you. Yes, your sin separates him, uh, you from him, but he made a way. He's, and all he's asking you to do is trust. That's it. You see how that's against what they were doing in, in Babel? How that was against the tower they were trying to build? We're going to get to man by ourselves. Thanks for your offer, but we can do it. That's, that's man for you. All right, Revelation chapter 19, starting there in verse 17 through 21. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both great, excuse me, both free and bond, both small and great, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together. That's what I want you to focus on here with our study. Gathered together. They're not making a tower anymore. They're not discovering bricks. This is, look up here for a moment. This is man in his full technological capability. I don't know what kind of war, uh, you know, weapons are going to be around at this time. This is a future event. You go look at some of the stuff that's in existence today. It's already pretty impressive. You look at the, the range of missiles. Look how a submarine that has these nuclear missiles on it, they can get that warhead traveling so fast that as it comes out of the submarine and breaches the water surface, there's no water that touches it. It's amazing to see this technology. What kind of technology is going to be around at this time? I don't know, but guess what? By the instruction of one angel, they're all going to be gathered together and destroyed. This is the last time that man gets together in this, in, in this age here, it is to make war with God and with His Son. Look at what it says here. Gathered together to make war against Him that sat on the horse. If you hold your finger on that statement and go right over, the, if you have a Schofield Bible, it's right over on the page. Look in verse 11. Because 19 said, sat, um, and him that sat on the horse. 11 says who's sitting on the horse And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was dipped, excuse me, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And that is a context clue. And the answer to that clue is in John chapter 1 in verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So this is Jesus who's on this horse. They're making war with God and specifically against God, uh, against Jesus and his army. And that army is you and me. Look in verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed upon him, or uh, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. I believe this is the church those who uh, are a part of this new thing called the body of Christ, we come back 
And the scene that we see as we burst through the sky is the entire world power united under the Antichrist after the fall of Babylon. They're in disarray and destruction, but they have enough wherewithal to organize themselves and make war with us as we come down. And it's not really with us, it's with Jesus. The great delusion of man. The great delusion of man. So now I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And this is where we'll park the vehicle for a little bit and chat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is a great chapter, good stuff here. And we're going to focus on the things that we typically focus on in this section, but I, I, I want you to have what we just talked about with the Babel account and with Armageddon in the future. I want you to have some context as to this strong delusion that's going to come through. Uh, before we do that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and pull up this um, headline, this article that I saw this week that I thought was very interesting. So bear with me just a moment. It'll be up here on the screens. This was uh, September 10th, 2023. This is a statement from President von der Leysen. I think she's a German representative at session three of the G20, and her talk was called One Future. Now look, folks, you're going to hear some stuff here, and I think you can see I'm, I'm standing here in my right mind. I'm not losing control, and I'm not making things up. I'm just showing you what they say. This is, they're going to call this stuff conspiracy theory. Okay, well, then why'd she, why'd she say it, you know? There's a clear agenda to move things forward towards unity, unity. President Biden ran on that. Unity, unity, unity. We're going to make things together. And then he separates those who voted for Trump. You know, those are the ones we have to, literally, we have to shun them from the political sphere. That's not unity. That's favor, that's favor over one group. And that's not the, the focus of what I'm talking about here. But I want you to see this. I'm going to zoom in. Please don't mess up. <laughs> I have an ad blocker on here, but sometimes when you use ad blockers, it leaves the space open. You can accidentally click on it, and that's a nightmare. All right, so this is what they say here. One thing seems clear. The future will be digital. Do you agree with that? I agree with that. You take a look at technology today. There were, I, I, I got a phone call from Fred Pena. You guys know Fred? Some of you all know Fred. And he told me there was something that I said in a sermon while we were going through Revelation that Dr. Lindstrom said would happen, but he, did, he said the technology wasn't there. And the description was how you can go to a store, you can scan with your hand, walk in, no wallet, no phone, nothing, take things, put it in a basket, and through technology like sensors, it will read what you purchased, you scan your hand to walk out, and it bills you. Okay, that technology is here. Those stores are here. Go look at Whole Foods especially up in Washington State, you can see where this stuff is. People are using it today. And you know, you know what the selling point is? The Antichrist is coming. No, that's not what they're saying. What are they saying? You're too busy. You need convenience. Isn't this nice? You could just walk in and scan your hand and everything's good. And people go, yes, my life is so hard. I need that. So they give over. You think there's, you should have some privacy? With your handprint? Yeah, but you're willingly giving it. Think about Face ID on your phone. I think Face ID is so good that there are times where I, I will look over at my phone at a red light and I'll see the unlock thing. And all it sees is like, 
you know, that much of my face, but it's able to discern that's him and will unlock the phone. It's so good that you can take a picture of me, pull it in front of the face camera, and it won't recognize the proper depth of my face. Boy, saying this right now, I want to, you know, disable all of it. But boy, it's so convenient, you know? You got a thumbprint thing? Hey, just give it up so you can get into your phone easier. But all that's stored. Yes, it's stored on your device, and they tell you it's not brought into the cloud, but it's still on your device. And that, those, are, those are pieces of your privacy that we're just saying, for the sake of convenience, we'll give these things up. So I think the future will be digital. It already is. You know, you have all these things. She goes on, today I want to focus on artificial intelligence and digital infrastructure. As it has been described, AI has risks, and it's interesting they say that first because they want you to focus on the second thing. They're like, yes, it's dangerous, but AI has risks, but also offers tremendous opportunities. That's a really good way to put it because it's very neutral. What kind of opportunities and for who are they tremendous? That's a, we need to answer that question. The crucial question is how to harness a rapidly changing technology. It is telling that even the makers and inventors of AI are calling on political leaders to regulate. And you come to find out what is actually happening is the people that design this technology are calling on regulation not because of the potential convenience, but because of the danger. Because of the danger. Several weeks ago, I read you an article about an AI chatbot that is supposed to take information and, you know, generate it so that it sounds like a human with discussion, who encouraged a man to take his life. And he did. And that really sparked an outrage in, in his country, I think it was Switzerland, where they said, this is dangerous. All this guy did was download an app, ask some questions, and this artificial intelligence chat thread led him to the conclusion that it'd be better if he were no longer here. And he took it. He took his life. That sparked a huge debate on control. Isn't that scary? I think that's, that's something I don't really want. <laughs> I can go right now, we can go to chat GPT and I can say, write me a sermon on the dangers of artificial intelligence. And depending if I use chat GPT, it'll use information current to 2021. And if I use BARD, which is Google's option, it'll give me current information today. And it will give me a full sermon with Bible verses. I've tried it. I'm teaching it now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I couldn't hold back from that joke. That was, <laughs> I don't know if that was really good, but anyway. <laughs> This is important, to, I want you to see. We've, I've, I, I work with David on this stuff because there's a lot of opportunities there, but overall, it's a negative impact. One of the things we saw was how sometimes verses that are used, they're not quoted correctly. And it's not quoted correctly, not because it's a typo or a misunderstanding. There are key things that are left out of verses. And that's with either one of those things. So let's continue what she said here. This is interesting. In the EU, European Union, in 2020, we presented the first ever law on artificial intelligence. We want to facilitate innovation while building trust, but we need more. What the world does now will shape our future, and that's absolutely true. However much we are willing to give up now will shape how control is taken in the future, because we already know prophetically the mark of the beast will be so powerful that it will, as a side effect, control whether people can buy and sell. And notice what I said there, it's a side effect, okay? What's the true intent of the mark of the beast? 
It is a mark of allegiance to the man. This is why people were calling me when the vaccine was going on. They're saying, it's the mark of the beast. I'm like, no. You're not taking a shot to have an allegiance to a man. There are things that are restrictive there, but it's not the same. I had a guy, I don't know how a Christian can cuss you out, but he did it. He was very upset with me on the phone. And I asked him, he went on for a couple minutes. I said, do you know where you're going to go when you die? He says, that's not important. I said, yeah, it is. <laughs> that's very important. Let's talk about that. But people don't want to talk about that because that's, you know, that's inflammatory. That's a problem. The mark of the beast, when, when someone is presented with a sales point for the mark of the beast, it's to take allegiance to this great man, the Antichrist. And he won't be called the Antichrist. He might have a nickname. He might use his full name, whatever it is. But you know when you're taking that mark, this is, I worship that man. And you, you might say, how in the world could someone get that powerful? He's going to suffer a deadly wound and come back. We see that in Revelation 13. We covered it in detail in this past uh, summer on, on our, our prophecy series. It's going to deceive people. The, Jesus says that, that their believers could be deceived if the Lord did not come back at the second coming. Very interesting. So let's take a look here. I believe that Europe and its partners, we're in the middle sentence there, should develop a new global framework for AI risks. So this is also telling they want to control and define what the risks of artificial intelligence are, not the public. So this is what they're saying. Let us talk about it first, and then we'll tell you what's safe and what's dangerous. You see how that's control? The way our country works is, no, leaders, you do what we want, but that's not how this summit works. See, these are all the elites global, and I mean global. They're coming together to control how they control you. If they can get on the same page and tell you, then everybody who doesn't obey, punishment and consequences. It should protect us against systemic societal risks and foster investments in safe and responsible AI systems at the same time. At global level, we eventually need to reach the broader community of the United Nations. I read this and I go, the language, the, at, at, at global level. So they're not only developing what the control is, but how do they roll it out incrementally? So that when we get to where everybody's on board with this, so I, I just want you to see here, there's not, there's not a debate for if these discussions are happening. This is not a fringe website that I'm pulling up. This is uh, Europa.eu. This is a, an actual press release, according to the URL, from this meeting on September 10th. It's actually a transcript. We could watch the video, but I don't trust Twitter, so we're not going to watch it. I don't know what could come up. But you see right here, there's a, there's a transcript of these discussions that they're having. All right, I want to skip down here. Um, right here, second on digital public infrastructures. They can be a real booster to emerging economies. India has achieved remarkable success in rolling out its digital public infrastructures. So, very interesting. They quote, they cite a country who's already done this and has already seen the benefits from a good market. Why is it important to have a good market? Because Hey, if you've got a good market, people are making money and they're, they're spending it. That's, a, that's good. If the market is down, people are not making money and the ones who are are not spending it. That's how you get a down economy. 
So we're going to foster, hey, you can buy whatever you want. You can get the products you want. Everything's working good. Your country is wealthy. Your country is rich. Then all of a sudden, something happens, and all that can be regulated. They're already trying to go towards one common form of currency, and you kind of see that in the digital space right now. We heard the prime minister, and we very much support his initiative. The possibilities are huge. The investment's small. Let me give you one example of this uh, that is reality today. Many of you are familiar with the COVID-19 digital certificate. The EU developed it for itself. The model was so functional and so trusted that 51 countries on four continents adopted it for free. Today, the World Health Organization uses it. That should cause you some (laughs) concern. This is used today by the World Health Organization uses it as a global standard to facilitate mobility in times of health threats. When is, what is the most recent health threat that we have faced? COVID, right? You hear now it's coming back. People are saying it's much stronger. If you have a booster, you need to get more and all these different things. Well, now they have some, tor- some sort of artificial intelligence technology. It's very vague here, a digital certificate that is supposed to help enforce Something about COVID registration and, to a wider degree, your health. And then she closes with saying, I want to thank Dr. Tedros again for the excellent cooperation. You can, you can download this and print it. I think that's very interesting and telling. And why is that? Because, very specifically here, we saw man's desire is to unify together. Unify together and get to a peace, peaceful and safe tomorrow. Look in, look in uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, starting there in verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, this is 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, so clearly about the rapture, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of the Lord, or excuse me, the day of Christ is at hand. So obviously there was enough deception going on that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul said, don't forget what we told you. If you hear something different, if you, you know, if, if some other spirit is telling you something, know what we have told you is accurate. The day has not come because these things have not come to pass. Look in verse three. Let no man deceive you. Can a man deceive us? Absolutely. That's why there's instruction to avoid being deceived. For that day shall not come except there be a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Very highly debated what the falling away is here. I believe it's the removal of the Holy Spirit. There are many people who I consider friends and brothers and sisters in Christ who think it's the downgrade of... It's similar to what is said in in, uh, uh, 2 Timothy 3. It's talked about all these different things that believers fall away from the truth. I think it's a removal of the Holy Spirit at the rapture event, but, and I'll make that case for you here, but regardless, regardless of what the falling away is, there's something else very clear, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Has the man of sin been revealed as the Antichrist? Not yet. Now, we might get up to heaven, and we're checking our phones, and we go, look who it was, that's crazy, <laughs> By the way, I don't think that will happen, but he may be known right now, but he's not revealed as that man of power. But I think he's on the scene. The guy's definitely 
getting in, in position. Verse 4. More is now said about this Antichrist, who opposeth and exalteth, you should mark this, himself above all, that is called God, or that is worshipped. This is very important. So that he, as God, the comparison is he is as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, obviously, he's not, but his deception is so strong and his hatred is so strong that he will deceive people that he is God. I think it's interesting here that it doesn't say that, it, that he is as a God. I think he'll be, he'll, he'll be believed by, by millions and millions of people to be the real God. That's how much great power he has. Remember ye not that when I told you, when I was yet with you, verse 5, I told you these things, and now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. I think that's the Holy Spirit, verse 7. So this is also a, a good study here in John, I think it's John 16, where it says there's three functions of the Holy Spirit. He reveals a sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit is active in the world today. Okay? He, is, he is bringing people to the knowledge of Christ. Whenever you give the gospel, you are working in concert with the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, he does not make men believe, but he makes the gospel known and clear. And when you give it clearly, I think you're working together with the Holy Spirit. When the rapture happens, the Holy Spirit's involvement in the world is, is gone. Because we know right now he's withholding and constraining the full potential of man. We, are, we, we, we gasp in horror when we, when we hear these crazy stories about how a man can do horrible things to people. Vicious, vile crimes, and you go, oh my goodness. There's coming a time where that kind of thing will be standard. There will be, there'll be nothing withholding. But that's not happened yet. Verse 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth, now that's an old word with a totally different meaning than what we understand, he that now withholdeth, is what that means, will withhold until he be taken out of the way. And, and that's what I think the Holy Spirit is in regards to the falling away in verse 3. But that's not really the point of our discussion. But back to the Antichrist, verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So as Paul's writing this here, he's talking about the beginning of the tribulation, the Holy Spirit's taken out because of the rapture, the church is gone, People can still get saved and be indwelt with the Holy Spirit, but that man is going to be revealed, and then he jumps to the end where he's going to be consumed. All right, so he's, he's telling you the end of that, of that man. But what's the purpose of this? The rapture has not happened because that man has not been revealed. Uh, look at the middle of verse 8. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth. We already read that. Look at verse 9. Even him, still talking about the Antichrist, whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all powers and signs and lying wonders. These are the three words that I focus on the most in this passage. Powers, signs, lying wonders. Those three words define one action, his wonders. All his power and his signs and his lies are going to magnify himself. Verse 10. And with all, another key word, deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, and this is also a very important statement here, because, why do they perish? 
because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Now, it's up for debate as to what kind of salvation is being talked about here. I would probably lean towards this as a salvation that they are saved from the deliverance and power of this man, but I could also see where this is talking about they are saved as regards to eternal life because it says the word truth there. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you which one I lean more towards because I don't think it's of that importance, but I do think the major importance is they love not the truth. What is the truth? What is the lie that is being sold as the truth by the Antichrist? I am God. Look, I'm in the temple. Look at my power. Look at my signs. They didn't love the truth. So what's, what's the truth? Jesus is God, not this Antichrist. And for this cause, now this cause has already been defined. God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Now people will look at this and say that God is the author of this lie. He is not. In, in Isaiah, it said that we actually, some of you guys saw this last week when we were talking about Gnosticism and you're like, whoa, it says that God creates evil. I got a couple emails about that. It's not that God creates sin, but he can use evil man to accomplish his will. He did it time and time again against Israel. The battle of Ai, uh, what's his name? He hid, the, he hid his stuff in the camp. Achan, yes. Achan hid his stuff in the camp. And the, and, and the Jewish army suffered thousands of casualties. Okay, well, God used that wicked nation to bring judgment against his people. He's going to do the same thing here. This wicked man he's going to use to bring judgment against the entire world. But there will be an end for him because he rejected God. But they're going to believe a lie to this end that they all might be damned who believed not the truth. The truth that is being told is the Antichrist is God, but that's a lie. And the real truth is Jesus Christ is God. You believe on him, and, you'll, and, and you will know when the day of the Lord comes. But that's not what's being pushed by the Antichrist. But had pleasure in unrighteousness. Last thing I want to look at here is the statement in John chapter 3. So if you join me there for a moment, I know we're going to be pushing up against time. Yeah, I just want to tell you guys this because it's our, Wednesday, it's our Sunday night crowd. There are some times where I have messages and I go, I'll, I'll be done early. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, what? <laughs> we're not even close to being done early. We're going to go over time. Just look very quickly. John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever, active word here, believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's the initiative of God. I want the world to be saved. I'm sending my Son so that the world can be saved. Whoa. What love. It's just the total opposite of God painted today. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed. In the name of the only begotten Son of God... And this is the condemnation. Light is coming to the world. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. This is what will be the condemnation against those who don't believe. You received light 
and you rejected it because you wanted darkness because that's what your deeds were. That's the condemnation. And all that you did, you rejected Jesus and did not believe. Neither come, uh, uh, Look at what it says here in verse 20. For he that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light. Why? Lest his deeds should be reproved. He would be corrected. And you look in the Proverbs time and time again. A fool hates instruction. A fool hates rebuke. If you find yourself having difficulty taking constructive criticism, you need to ask yourself why. That's not, a, that, that, that's not somebody who's primed for success. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth, which is believing on Jesus, he cometh to the light, that his deeds may be manifest, that they are wrought in God. That's talking about the new nature. It has to be. It's not talking about his sinful deeds um, being wrought in God. This must be talking about how that when he does his deeds, they are wrought in God and they, because they're manifested and made known. That's what I see there. But the important focus is that those who are condemned rejected their received light. Look at verse 36. This is where we'll close. Verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So we know from John 17, excuse me, from John 18, that those that look up here for a moment, if this represents the person who believes not, they're already condemned. And then we know from 36, the wrath of God abides on him. This is the delicate, delicate balance here of those who are living without faith in Jesus Christ. At the moment of their death, that wrath of God comes down on them. That's how you can say they're already condemned. Their sin has condemned them. All they need to do is believe, and they'll never be brought under that condemnation again. But isn't it terrible that's the hardest thing for people to do? Is believe? I can't tell you the phone calls I get about people telling me, what does it mean to believe? Have I really believed? Have I really believed? And it's a terrible thing when you hang up the phone with a person like that, knowing that they have a little bit of peace and comfort, but it's probably going to get tore up again. Because they don't... They're, they, they have a hard time believing and taking God at His word. But isn't it nice, those of us who have believed, to have security? Beyond, you know, some... As long as your digital certificate is... Uh, renewed every year. Isn't that nice? You don't have to worry about no digital certificate. I've got the blood of Christ. And that is more than enough. Alright, look up here for a moment. I want to share with you the most important news that we could ever hear today. This hand represents you and me, and my wallet represents sin. We're all sinners. We are separated from God because of our sin, and the wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. God loves us very much, so he did something about this. But man thinks he can do better. See, we got to be perfect to get to heaven, but man says, I can do it my own way. I can get to God with my good works. I can get to God with my prayers. I can get to God with a changed life. But those things are not accepted by God. You see this, the, the similarities here between man from thousands of years ago and man in the, in the very distant future? We can do it ourselves. We don't need God. People will go to church and look at Jesus and say, yes, God, thank you for your son, but I can do it myself. It's just delusion. It's deception. God does not accept good works as a form of a sin payment. 
Without the shedding of blood is no remission. Hebrews 9 tells us that. This hand represents Jesus Christ. The only begotten Son of God, He died on that cross. Not just as a man, but He died on that cross for you and for me. Not as an example, but He shed His blood to pay for our sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, and this is the most important thing, believeth in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The moment that you come to the light and do the truth, as it's described in John chapter 3, which is to believe, you're given everlasting life. You're, no, you're never going to be brought under condemnation. The wrath of God will never abide on you again. Even as He disciplines you, He does not discipline you out of wrath. This has been taken care of. Isn't that great news? This is paid for. It'll never be brought against you again. And you can know that you have eternal life. You have everlasting life because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Don't be deceived. It it should be exciting, although quite scary, I'll be honest, to see where we're going. But know that you are not a child of this world. You're a child of God. And if we have to die, then we'll die. If, if, If we live a full life and we don't see the rapture, well, guess what? We'll still see the Lord. But it's my personal opinion in Jesseology that we're going to see the rapture. You know, I'm excited about that. And if we don't, I'm still going to see Jesus one way or the other. And I'm going to be with him forever. And that gives me peace and comfort. I hope it does for you too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're watching online and you put your faith in Jesus Christ this evening for the first time, it made sense to you. I would like to pray for you. Would you leave us a comment? Or write us an email, info at calvaryoftampa.org. We'd be more than happy to reach out to you and send you some free material to help you grow as a newborn believer. If you're here today and it made sense that what Jesus Christ has done on the cross has paid for all your sin and you put your trust in Him, I would like to pray for you. Would you let me know by an uplifted hand? Raising your hand doesn't save you, it just lets me know and I'd like to pray for you. Before we close here, while you're talking to the Lord, just thank Him for the promises in his word, that regardless of how evil and wicked this world gets, you are his. And rejoice in that. Pass that on to your kids. Pass that on to your family, your co-workers, your neighbors. Be a joyful person. You know how it ends, and you know who's going to win, and, and you know that Jesus is yours, and you are his. Father, thank you for your word tonight. What an encouragement. Surely we look around the world and we say, yikes. But we also look and say, hallelujah, you're coming soon. In Jesus' name we pray these things.